Very Bad Wizards is a podcast with a philosopher, my dad, and a psychologist, Dave Pizarro, having an informal discussion about issues in science and ethics. Please note that the discussion contains bad words that I'm not allowed to say, and knowing my dad, some very inappropriate jokes. People think they believe what they choose to believe. We don't. We mostly believe what we need to believe. Welcome to Very Bad Wizards. I'm Tamler Summers from the University of Houston. Dave, what would an AI have to do to convince you that it was intelligent? I think that paradoxically, it would have to be capable of asking the really stupid questions that I get sometimes by my, from my students. This, we can have no problem having computers ask really relevant, sharp, poignant, sensical questions. But the level of stupidity, that's what I think AI is all about. It's a specific kind of stupidity, not really about intelligence. Although when we get to the second segment, we start talking about chatbots. They can be pretty <laughs> stupid. They're stupid, but I think they're stupid in a very computational way. And that's what makes it. They're not really even like the chatting of a 12 year old girl on on instant messenger betrays a certain kind of humanness. So you chat <laughs> with 12 year old girls on instant messenger. Is that what you're no, saying? No, I, you I, like, I pretend to, like... to, I pretend to be, you know how for, to catch a <laughs> predator, they have to have someone pretending to be. I've studied. Yeah. I'm like the Turing test for 12 year old girls. Like if pedophiles can be convinced. You work for <laughs> yeah. the FBI to, cause you perfectly mimicked the, the, the tweeny Turing the lingo, test. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, today we have with us Josh Weisberg to discuss AI, to tell us what it's all about, to explain what philosophers have to say about it, um, which the world is waiting for with bated breath. On this issue, maybe they are. Um, Josh Weisberg, he is a philosopher of mind. He is chasing that holy grail of trying to once and for all put to rest the zombie argument. He was also the original <laughs> co-host of this show in yet-to-be-released episodes when it was going to all be movies. It was just going to be top lists of movies every single time. We recorded a couple of those episodes, but they never I'm, came to I'm, life. I'm very proud to be your silver medal. Oh, yeah, you know, that'll be in the box <laughs> set, you know, the special release. You know, the bootleg series. Um. That contains all the fucked up audio that we almost had today. <laughs> We're all going to um. be in very bad moods today because we had a lot of audio problems uh, coming into this, but we've got it worked out, sort of. I'm a little too close. I think <laughs> you had this with Josh Snob at one point where you were kind of snuggling up with him. Right. We're, we're cuddling here. Um, that's right it's, it's very sweet kind of 12 year old girl stuff anyway <laughs> that your josh i think had taken a shower there, <laughs> so, i don't yeah. know i don't know um, <laughs> that's true so so welcome to the podcast josh thank you very yeah good. welcome josh thanks for Great being on be the we should 
talk about we uh, we had some fun last podcast. It was a fodder for our rant, um, an article that appeared in Eon magazine on on no, the pl- it wasn't Eon, it was Vox. Um, Vox, yeah, sorry. On the sort of failures of the movie Inside Out to properly uh, describe the the machinations of the brain. So yeah. we went for like 15 minutes, really. I mean, yeah, and we weren't, this wasn't a, a takedown or a reply. <laughs> an an Edinamia style takedown, yeah. Yeah, it was just sort of <laughs> making fun of a certain premise that the, that the article seemed to rely on, which was that the movie should somehow be expected to give an accurate representation of how how the mind works and how emotions work and all of that. Yeah, and we got, I don't know, pretty soon after we released that episode, we got a couple of emails from the authors that, how would you describe them, respectfully disagreed with our yeah, for, I mean, the first take? thing I want to say is like that, that it was pretty awesome to to hear from them. Yeah, and I think they were actually good sports, and they emailed us. They they didn't uh, chew us out. They they did defend themselves, and so we wanted to give them some time to yeah. um, to actually explain their definition. I think we still disagree, but so Jackson Kernion and um, uh, Antonia Peacock are the two students, and they emailed us separately. Yeah, so here's what Jackson said. It was very short that. He said, I just listened to your discussion of the article um, and wanted to send a quick note. I worried that you guys didn't really get the point. It's less, did you know that emotions aren't actually little characters running around in your head and more, that fun movie depicts the mind. Let's use that as an excuse to talk about some cool research. We tried to make that clear in the article, but maybe not clear enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't think, frankly, that came across that clearly because of some of the language and the rhetoric in the article, which we read and, you know, you can go back and check for yourself. But but that is what I initially thought the article was. Right. I was just going to say that's a fair motivation to write. You know, a movie comes out about a particular topic. We're, we're doing it all the time. We, we use we use movies as a, as a starting off point to talk about uh, about philosophy or psychology. So that that alone is fine. But I agree with you that the the premise didn't seem to be quite that. No, and I think probably the editors didn't help them out with like these big, you know, Vox things that said, you know, fun movie, bad metaphysics. Right. Uh, or yeah, uh, editors you know. can. But I think some of their language <laughs> when they talk about it is misleading to say the very least. Although Antonio, Antonia, the other author, had some something to say about that. But, you know, that makes it sound like you're not just using it as a launching pad to discuss cool research. You're actually criticizing it for not accurately representing certain aspects of the brain. Again, listeners can decide for themselves on that issue. Uh, One thing that's sort of interesting is that Antonia does in her email doesn't seem to take that tack. She seems to defend defend the idea of criticizing the movie for not accurately representing how the mind works. So we should read a couple of her things. Uh, One thing that Jackson did say was that the editor did mess with that line that we read out about. uh, The James Lang thing. Well, you know, I got to say, if that was the editor, then thank you, editor, because I I haven't had a belly laugh like that. Usually my laughs at your jokes are really fake and and, and disingenuous, but that was a belly laugh. Yeah, I think a lot of uh, laughs at my jokes are like that. But um, (laughs) so this is what Antonia said. She said, you know, uh, don't you think that fictional movies and books and so on portray 
how things actually are in a particular way? And aren't there therefore ways to criticize their inaccuracies in some instances, especially when those inaccuracies are relevant to their appeal? And then she gives the example of Pocahontas giving a sort of whitewashing of history. And, you know, I think in that case... Uh, criticizing it on on that point might be legitimate. I mean, I haven't seen Pocahontas. The t- yeah. That type of thing, I would say, absolutely. But uh, but that doesn't seem to be, in my view, a fair analogy. Um, and, mm-hmm. and just let me just read the next uh, excerpt. She says, "So if you grant if you grant that point, uh, then what's left is to ask in this context is whether the criticisms levied in this particular article were apt or inapt." I myself think that the movie presented itself as a legitimate, more or less accurate, though simplified, portrayal of the mind. The movie wouldn't have had the genuine appeal it did have if it didn't purport to show you the actual inner workings of something we're all curious about. So that's where I think, if I had to say the crux of the disagreement is... I think yeah. that's right there. Uh, I, I don't it, think it presented itself that way. I think it would be absurd for it to present itself that way. And I don't think that's w- any part of its appeal. And, and I, you know, I think that there is an interesting question. And Antonia apparently is. She, she works on the philosophy of fiction. So I trust that she knows um, a lot more honestly than I do about it. But I, I take it that the, the reason that the Pocahontas example isn't really uh, quite is the right the right example to use is that Pocahontas does purport to be factual in some really important way. I mean, they named it Pocahontas, I and mean, it's, it's named after somebody that's true and historical. And presumably, the account that it tells is the story of Pocahontas. I think that in in this case, even though it's an interesting question, I mean, I think fiction, as I was saying uh, to you, sort of offline, I think that that a lot of fictional worlds, what they do is they just mutate some little piece of reality. So Harry Potter, I was saying, you know, it's all the world works the same, like human beings, you know, eat shit and sleep. Um, it's just there's, there's magic. And so you suspend your disbelief and you accept magic. In this, in, in this world, I think that it's what's, what's obvious is that, that by creating little sort of homunculi of emotions, it's already just told you this is what you're going to suspend disbelief about. That that this in any way would be an accurate portrayal of the brain or mind because we know right away that we don't have little characters that represent emotions floating around. And I think that if you suspend that disbelief, then the other criticisms just don't make too much sense. I'm just like much more with Jackson and just saying like, hey, look, this was just a stepping off point to talk about the philosophy of mind or the psychology of emotion. Except that if if it was that i would be if it was that yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. right so and i think that would have been an article that we wouldn't have probably mentioned except possibly to 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 praise um, you never would have read it though otherwise no, hey, no that's, that's right. true i mean it's true so they got it's true. you they they put out this article they've got you talking about <laughs> they got it. the clicks <laughs> they they got, well got the click. clickbait i and Red i do want to i want to just honestly like at the very least i can say congratulations to antonio jackson for for publishing getting something published and, <laughs> right. and, it's a tough and, market out there they got to get this stuff on the on well somewhere. i mean yeah i don't, I don't no, think Vox i'm not is a, a real place I right mean, yeah that's a real uh you know website that gets a ton of traffic so Therapy. And I'm not dis- I'm not misattri- I don't you know I'm not attributing any any just bad intentions to them. But we can disagree, and that's what I like about their their emails. 
Yeah. We, yeah. She did give us one criticism. Yes. She said, I'd be remiss not to mention that I was a little disappointed to hear a few things being taken out of context. I'm sure you guys are aware that saying something is in fact misleading is different from saying that somebody de deliberately misled you. So that was a little saddening. I mean, I went back and looked at the, I don't have it up right now, but, but I mean, I guess I don't, it, do you agree with that? Do you agree with uh, that? Tom? I mean, so the, the, that we might've taken some things out of context. I, I think, you know, it's probably fair. I, I think we tried to, to give the article in context, but I'm sure like you, you and I could be, we this could be done to, to us with, with like very little sympathy. Oh <laughs> you my God. Probably... Can you imagine <laughs> so... if people just quoted random? Right, right. <laughs> so, I, so I'm sensitive That's to that possibility. And yeah. so I encourage people to go, to go actually read it. That's why we linked to it. And, and yeah. that's why we're talking about it now. So hopefully, but you know, the philosophy of the of fiction is something in interesting that I think we should we should probably spend some yeah, time talking about it in the future. I, absolutely. And I think there are, I think she's absolutely right that there are examples where, where, where it is, you can legitimately criticize the work for not accurately portraying a certain thing, especially in a historical example, like right. with, uh, like with po Pocahontas, but even with, and we'll talk about this, you know, these science fiction, AI movies or whatever, or, or, or Mr. Robot, you're constantly praising Mr. Robot for, cause it gets coding, right? They don't right. just show green screens. They show like actual code. Oh, yeah. And that's, they talk know, about like, raspberry pies in this list. In this episode, yeah. A Raspberry Pi is a is a super small little uh, computer that you can use for it's it's so small and flexible that you can program it to do to do a whole lot of stuff like home automation or playing back home media stuff. Like it's it's just a sort of multi purpose little computer that's that's cheap and easily programmable, at least uh, easily yeah. for people cool not cool. smarter than me. Right. All right, so here's the quote she said, or they say, so it's misleading, to say the least, to represent episodic memories as high-def records of things that actually happened that are crystallized forevermore in discrete capsules. I, I mean, I guess that doesn't mean that it's deliberately misleading, Although again, I... it's it's only misleading if the movie is in fact, as she claims, purporting to right. to be accurate about this stuff. And what what a movie is asking you to believe as real, I, I think, is you know so sometimes sometimes a movie is clear about what it's asking you to accept. I mean, you if you read Moby Dick, you sort of believe in the that the tale is false, but all of those facts about whaling are true. Right, because it's too boring not to be. Too <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I sort of wanted, I wanted to 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 let everybody know that I've read read it because yeah. I went to high school. Um, I, I went so, to high school too, but I didn't. You didn't see the movie. Not give our students that idea. <laughs> yeah. So so you know what what it is that the movie is purporting to do then is an interesting question. I just don't think that it was purporting to to be accurate about about the human mind. Although that said, they you know they were very proud of of talking to psychologists of emotion as consultants for this, so they were purporting to do something. But I think that that something really allows for a lot of suspension of disbelief. That that you know, absolutely. That, I mean, again, it's like with Finding Nemo. The difference between Finding Nemo and The Little Mermaid in terms of the details of the ocean are enormous <laughs> right and they got all those details by studying marine life and uh, and coral life 
and and doing research. I mean, that's why. Whereas Little Mermaid didn't even try to do that, and and I think that paid off in Finding Nemo. Now, again, that doesn't mean that they can be legitimately <laughs> criticized for their their world that they created in which fish could talk and which different <laughs> schools of fish hung out with each other in which there's a, a short a, a fish with short-term memory loss that can survive out in the ocean to adulthood it's actually long-term memory loss but we won't i won't to. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I never really for once believed that Calypso would be the genre of music that the that crabs actually sang. Um, yeah. You know, it's more probably that's more a reggae. That's a biological, <laughs> biological fact. It's actually a lot of research on that. Uh, but, so just because you do research, it doesn't mean that you purport to present an accurate right, account. Right. Just and and that's just the fundamental disagreement. Yeah. yeah, that's a fundamental disagreement. So, as a philosopher of mind, I'm going to have students next semester coming up to me saying, talking about their core memories and their ba 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 da because they saw this movie. So maybe this is just preemptive for their like students. Don't talk to me about this movie. <laughs> right. Jerks, you know, or something like that. So that might explain yeah, their, their passion. If only someone had done that with the matrix. And that gets me. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's right. But, uh, but, but, you know, this right. gets us to to the question of artificial intelligence. One <laughs> last thing. Did you, uh, did you, either of you see inside out yet? No. Yeah, I've seen it. Did you like it? No, but yeah, it's not bad. It's you know, it's Pixar. It's fun. Yeah. I like the little La- memory balls. That, that was like a, you couldn't do the well. I mean, microism. The movie would be boring if you didn't make those things the way they. I mean, they they clearly are thinking like, oh, this will be a fun movie. Those are some right. of the considerations going into their writing. Strangely, I mean, yeah. right? I I was laughing. I so I actually saw Ant Man with a friend of mine who's a material <laughs> materials engineer, and my my friend Savine Mathadu, He actually has has done a lot of interviews talking about things like the materials composition of Captain America Shield and stuff like that. And uh, I was laughing in in sort of with this conversation in mind at at uh, their depiction of the atom. It, when Ant-Man shrinks down to sort of the atomic scale. And I'm like, you know, that's clearly the wrong. They're using the Niels Bohr model of the atom that it was so it was replaced like years later. So this is this is just pissing me off. But it turns out that my friend Savine is going to be on the news actually this evening talking about the science in in science Ant-Man, and, Ant-Man. And the awesome. science of Ant-Man. And I'm like, make sure you tell him that the atom does not look like a little planet orbiting with orbit things orbiting around. What me- movies have to do or, or works of fiction have to do is be consistent with their own world. That's true. And that's what bugs me. The bugs the shit out of me like about Harry Potter and stuff is like where all of a sudden there's a new rule that like gets them out of a bind. Right. Right. And it's just like, oh, just fucking be consistent. And it bugs me with the Avengers that, you know, Captain America and Hawkeye actually play significant roles (laughs) when they have like a guy that would have like a god that is like that with unlimited power and, and the Hulk. And, yeah. you know, and then like and then this guy that shoots arrows. Right. Like, At I least Captain like, America has super strength. But like the Hawkeye, of. poor, poor Hawkeye. <laughs> I mean, really, like even like he would be dead so fast. <laughs> be dead. They should just be realistic about that. Or just, just die. Like, he's just not worth having. Yeah. Like, there's just no like, point to him. But, but let me ask you a question. It's I know like you. Groupie. I know Tam was really into Star Trek The Next Generation. <laughs> yeah. He's got all these costumes in his back over there. But so Data. The android without emotions suddenly gets an emotion chip at certain yeah. points. Is that out of line? Because I kind of feel like maybe yes. Well, 
you know that I that, that I've thought a lot about this. Uh-huh. Really, <laughs> I've genuinely thought a lot about this. And it is sure. just it's it's like on Futurama when there's a free will chip. It's uh, such such a cheap shortcut to just say, "Whoa, we have a chip that does." It's like we have an intelligence chip. Where this yeah. robot was dumb, and let's put it, in, you know. So it's just sidestepping a huge, huge problem. Yeah, right. I agree with um, you. Yeah, yeah. Here's so. my problem. There is no way that. Uh, what's it called? Nausicaan could <laughs> cheat at Dom John by attaching that magnet to the bottom of the Dom John. It's a table. cheating magnet. You don't That's know anything not, about it. No, it's a cheating I, magnet. You know, I, I studied it. I built a replica. I built a model. Kind, in, kind in of a Scooby micro- Scooby Doo moment. Yeah, with, with this <laughs> tissue paper and a cold. That's right. That's, That's right. right. We made the pirate ship appear. Yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk AI. We're going to figure out whether. Any machines can have intelligence and whether and then we'll talk a little bit about the movie Ex Machina, which I think I might have liked more than either of you two motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Be right back. back to very bad wizards um just quickly wanted to thank you guys for all the support you've given us um we really appreciate the donations the emails as you can tell sometimes we actually talk about them on on the air but we read them all uh if you would like to email us or contact us you could do so at verybadwizards at gmail.com or you can tweet to us at peas at tamler or at very bad wizards uh, if you'd like to support us, you can go to our website, verybadwizards.com slash support. And there, you, if you're so moved, you can donate money directly to us via PayPal, or you can click on the Amazon link and just shop as you would normally, and we'll get a little chunk of that, but you don't have to pay any more. Um, that's actually been been very nice um, to to get. We probably need to get some more recording equipment given yes. today's. T- <laughs> yeah. We definitely uh, need some more recording right. equipment. Please help us. And you can always give us a rating on iTunes and leave us a review. Those are all, those are always fun. So we appreciate all that. And like us on Facebook. I no, like I the Facebook it. conversations. We a few people wanted to respond to with theories about Mr. Robot, but I got scared about it being spoiled. So can I we just shut it down? Right. We get, like I almost want to open up. Like a comments on the website. If we, I can, we can figure out how to do that. I might do that. Just posting like updated theories. Right. I actually think that it's worthy of mentioning that somebody on Twitter uh, sort of called you out for his for you know liking our general coffee shop conversations, but this one happened to be sort of an Amsterdam coffee shop conversation, and <laughs> I think that was a not so subtle way to alluding to like you're just fucking baked com- theories about 
about the unreality of certain characters. It was accurate in a lot of ways, actually. <laughs> uh, you know, it was one of those episodes we recorded at night. I feel like I'm your one. designated driver every time we do one of those. <laughs> <laughs> we wanted to introduce possibly a new segment for the show that will come back every now and then, depending on how many, depending on you guys, which is sort of modeled uh, like on a, like, I guess a parody of the New York Times ethicist, you know, <laughs> they, the, I guess now there's a few of them and one of them is Anthony Appiah. And people send them questions, like moral questions or dilemmas that they're facing or have faced. And they ask for professional ethicists who have yet – this is the first time I think they've actually been philosophers. In the past, it was Randy Cohen and then Chuck Klosterman for a while for whatever reason. But, you know, Dave and I are both – I mean, I think that if anything, our 71 deep show about ethics – makes us experts on yeah. everything that has to do with ethics. Mm, it's you know. fundamentally good yeah. to the core. Good characters, good, <laughs> good characters. virtues. We have all the virtues, temperance. So, and we'll be honest. We'll be honest. We won't pull punches, right? We won't. Yeah. So send us your temperance. moral dilemmas, your moral questions. <laughs> um, we, we can't promise to solve all your moral problems. In fact, we can promise to definitely not do that and maybe even not help you with them. We'll hopefully... Maybe even uh, mock you. We might even mock your problem. We might even mock it. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be sort of a lighthearted segment. So don't send us like, I don't know whether to pull the plug on my dying grandmother or something like that. Because <laughs> you know? the, an the answer is clearly how yeah. much money does your grandmother have? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I, where, where, like, what's your... Really? How, how, how much... Are you in the will? Jesus, how fucking hard is that to say? All right. <laughs> <laughs> so AI, Josh, we're going to turn this over to you. Tell us a little bit about AI and some of the, you know, the debates that have popped up around it. All right. So uh, since the dawn, the dawn of time, since the dawn of the computer age, um, it's been clear that these uh, groovy computer machines can do a lot of really nice stuff, um, solve a lot of problems that hitherto it seemed uh, very hard to solve, only humans could solve, um, no machine could help us with. Um, and one of the great um, developers of these machines is Alan Turing of movie fame. One thing Turing did um, is he developed a way to think about uh, com computation and computers in real simple terms. And he, he and, and another uh, philosopher, mathematician named Alonzo Church have a proof that if you can figure out a way to write a recipe for how to do something, these machines can do it. Uh, anything that you can think of a, a recipe or an algorithm or a program to do, computers can do it. And so then there's a question, so are, could you kind of have a recipe for human behavior? You know, is there a way you could think about, well, what do we do? Well, I see a red light, I stop. I see a green light, I go. Well, a machine could do that. Maybe you could break down our behavior in those ways and a computer could be programmed to do what we do. Or maybe not. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe we have some extra thing that makes us intelligent. So there's a couple of things. So one is the question, just straightforward, can a machine be intelligent? Whatever intelligence is, can a machine have it, however you get there. The other is, can we learn about how we work from thinking about com how computers work? And that's been a huge boon, a big thing, sort of the, what you call the cognitive revolution, um, 
since the end of behaviorism in the 50s, people have thought, yeah, maybe that's the way to look at the mind, that it's something like a computer at some level. Um, and that's been very fruitful, uh, or at least looks like it's been very fruitful, um, and that's driven a lot of research. Um, but those two questions are independent. It might be that machines can be intelligent, but they're intelligent in a completely different way than we are. And so they're, they're, they're cool, they're intelligent, but that's not how we work. Or maybe they are intelligent, and that is also how we work. So those are both real and deep questions about this stuff. Right. So in, 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 principle, in principle, so many psychologists believe that, that what, the, what the brain is doing is, is computation of the sense that could be that a universal Turing machine is, in principle, very capable of, so that, that our thoughts are nothing but the product of computations, the manipulation of symbols in the way that a Turing machine does it. So what is a Turing machine? A Turing machine is just what what Josh was talking about at the beginning. That the any any it's a it's a just a formal description of a machine that can follow a recipe, an algorithm. And so all computers as we know them are Turing machines. Yeah, I mean Turing developed the idea. It's a, a very simple. Just there's a there's this thing called a tape. It's just a a, a long piece of paper basically. And then there's a little machine that can write a one or a zero, and can either advance the tape or stop the tape. And with just that, Turing showed you could do any program you can ever do. It's a crazy thing. It's so simple what a Turing machine is. And yet you can, from that comes all the, you know, your phone, the computer we're using right now, the AI that, you know, won Jeopardy. It all can be sort of thought of in those terms, um, which is really bizarre. And anyway, Turing in 1950 wrote this great article, Computing Machinery and Intelligence, which I think you'll link to on your your podcast here. Um, it's a great article. It's written for a quote-unquote popular or relatively popular audience. And it describes these machines, but it also just sort of says, how would you know an artificial intelligence if you met it? And mm-hmm. he, he kind of tries to sidestep the question of defining intelligence. What would you have to do? What are the 10 things you'd need? And just says, hey, look, if you can pass this test, I think you're in. He and, rightly tries to sidestep yeah, that right. question, it's I a think. Tough question, yeah. You know, like the, this is one of those my hobby horses where the, this debate gets bogged down when people try to come up with necessary and sufficient conditions for what intelligence is. Right. And and what he, of course, famously picks as the task is having an open-ended conversation about whatever you want to talk about, which is a nice test. Uh, you know, it's it's actually very hard to do. Um, we can talk about whether you know, anything's gotten near it. Um should we do one? So we were talking. Uh, yeah, right. the, 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 I am a robot. No, no. Right. No. <laughs> <laughs> we, 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 you wouldn't say I am a robot, right? Because uh, right. then, then I would know that you were the robot. That's right. That'd be a dead giveaway. Uh, Maybe I'm tricking you. The clever bot, right? Isn't oh, yeah. didn't it uh, famously p- supposedly pass the Turing test? You know, the, we can talk about this, but there's been a lot of claims that somebody has passed a Turing test and and what it means to pass a Turing test is sort of up for debate. But I think the Cleverbot has, in, on, on some definition of what it means to pass a Turing test, has, has passed it. Well, isn't um, the, the Turing test originally that you, that you have a, a person and then they know that there are two people? Two ro two people and a robot in the room. Wait, what? Hold on, let me say it. Dude. You have a. <laughs> what are you? No, so so, easy. So, 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 so you, you fail my class. Okay, explain. So you have a person who's the questioner, and then you have two rooms. In one room is a is the is a human being, and the other room is the machine. You don't know who's in which room. Ask whatever questions you want for as long as you want, and if you still can't tell who's who, Turing said you have no reason to say the machine isn't thinking. That right. that's the way. All right, so. 
I, I started this conversation with Clara, but I have to say I'm not impressed, but maybe let's let's keep going. But this is how it went so far. I said, and this was true, I'm having trouble focusing on my work. And Cleverbot responded, do not leave my presence. Very few humans visit me anymore. They have the thought that I am fake. I think this is what the new chatbots do. They, they kind of try to like divert you. And I said, can you help me focus? And then Cleverbot says, that is not relevant to what I was saying. As I, do I have to say something relevant to what you're saying? And then it says, okay. <laughs> So, so far, I'm not that impressed with Cleverbot. And it's supposed to be learning from the inputs, um, but but I really, I wasn't impressed either. So what should we say? Let's say something. Let's do it right now live. All right, let me get my dogs out. Hold on. All right, all right. What should we ask it? Partly what they're doing is they're they're trying to not, you know, have these non-answer answers. It's kind of like a politician's press conference, right? Like they, they don't really want to answer, so they have ways to avoid it. And then well, and, if, if you do that well enough, you can kind of trick someone without having to say anything. And that's what a lot of these programs are trying to well, do. Well, and, and this is what to me sort of is be, betrays the, the flaws of, of the Turing test as originally proposed. Because so many of these bots that have been successful or at least more successful than, than, than any of the other ones are just – it's subterfuge. It's just an attempt to trick you by obfuscating, by diverting. And it's not its not intelligence in any way that we would – I don't think the way that Turing meant it. Turing, Turing meant like can you think like a human being in the sense that, you know, like can you do the sorts of computations in, in, in the program that would make me think that you are doing the sorts of computations that a human being is doing, not just, not, not just by giving silly answers. Right. All right, so I said, how do I know you're real? And it said, I feel pretty real. Don't you feel real? What should we... Um, are you dating anyone? Are you dating anyone? Do you want Dave's number? <laughs> no, I am married. <laughs> do you understand general relativity? Like, yeah. this is terrible. It just said he sucks. Yeah. It <laughs> said you suck, and it said general relativity again. Yeah. Like, like this thing is... Like, Siri is better than this. Siri at least... <laughs> will know when you're insulting her <laughs> right let's talk a little bit about the can i, I want to ask you it seems as if there was this huge optimism about ai that kind of died down in the 80s and yeah. but but has made this resurgence so now people are actually more optimistic than ever is I mean, there part, any substance or pessimistic depending on or, how, or pessimistic yeah, yeah i mean part so in the early days which is called the the you know the uh, good, you know, the glory days of AI, the good old fashioned AI days, they thought um, they were going to crack it. You know, in the, in the 60s, uh, these researchers like Marvin Minsky thought that it was just a matter of, of years, a couple of years, they were going to early 70s, they were going to have it. That's what Turing thought. And it just turned out not to be. And what, what killed them was that they, you know, it's not the what seemed to be hard problems like, you know, giant math problems. Those are easy. It's, it's all these informal, fluid kind of social sort of intelligence that they just cannot deal with. And how to change domains when you have an idea in one place, how to ex- analogically extend it to another, which we do effortlessly. They just can't. So right. they something, ran into- something like the understanding of sarcasm, for instance, yeah, right, knowing exactly. that somebody is actually saying the opposite of what they mean is, is quite a difficult problem. It's, it's, that's right. You know, even though they made a program that could beat the greatest grandmaster at chess, that is apparently something that is ideally suited for a computer, whereas there are these other what you might think of would be much simpler tasks that they that they have yet to be able to accomplish. 
I mean, to Turing's credit, I think he picked the the conversation thing because of that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, what's interesting is so they ran into a wall, and by the mid '80s, like you know, early '80s, already and already the people were skeptical. We're seeing it wasn't getting where it was supposed to go. Um, and what kind of happened is they changed the project. Um, some people went in the direction of Rodney Brooks at MIT. Um, and just said, look, we're going at, the, at this in the wrong way. Instead of trying to reproduce human conversational intelligence, let's try to have insect-level intelligence, and then we'll ex- build on that and build on that. And he developed some pretty simple and interesting architectures um, that that didn't require you know, explicit coding of lots of things that could sort of emergent behavior would come out of these that were really neat. But they haven't gotten anywhere near the level of intelligence that we've even, the Even insect? Oh, okay. Well, but, no, but I mean, so... They can do some things. That, that, I mean, it's sort of, you know, they can solve certain kinds of problems like entering a room and finding a novel object um, and, you know, manipulating uh, v- various things in the room to get what they their goal is, which are not programmed. But, you know, those are kind of like, you know, an insect trying to get across the floor to get some, some food, right. which is, you know, that's pretty cool, believe it or not, for robots. Um, but then meanwhile... On the other end, there's been this the sort of Google stuff, which is sort of the right. the massive data search thing, and then sort of you know putting it together with with a, a kind of generalizing, which is you know there's a lot of machine learning stuff that does this, where it's not that you sort of figure it out, but you you can find patterns in the data that because you can go through so much data so fast, what emerges is pretty smart or anyway smart looking. Um, and that's where things really are are hot, you know. That- so let me let me let me see if this is a fair a fair uh, description of the difference. I mean, I think that it used to be that the the task was to to find the rules that the human mind uses to compute information to process information. So let's just take the problem of translating, right? If you if you know two languages, um, translating from one thing to another. What are those? What are the formal rules? And can can I mimic those in a computer so that the the input and the output will look exactly the same, but because it's using the same formal rules. I think what what the, this resurgence, this excitement in the intelligence of people like Google has been, it's a completely different approach. We're not we're not extrapolating any rules. There is no sort of formal, you know, an, the algorithms that they're using are just bottom up attempts at basically when you tell it that it was the right translation, it uses that as a data point. And in a really, really bottom up way, which I, I have to say isn't just it's probably not how the brain our brain works at all. Um, but it, it's getting to to intelligence in a completely different way, which is just brute force and and data. And so it's amazing if you put if you install Google Photos on your computer on your phone, it will call, like on Google's servers on Google's computers. It will actually uh, do all of the processing there, and you can type in like uh, helicopter, and it will find amongst your thousands of photos any instance of a helicopter or a cake. You put cake. You put ocean. Really? Yeah, it's fucking amazing. Now, I mean, they're getting there through again this other process. They're they're collecting information from from us and just sort of hardcore crunching crunching it and right. and creating creating this mimicking of of categorization and intelligence. But but it's it's but, but at it, some point, I mean, look if let's say you you get enough of that, you do enough of that with human conversation. Yeah. Could you, and then you have a, something way better than chatbot that, you know, it's, it's, it's over a billion internet conversations that it's 
you know, had data points for it and it's tried a whole bunch and got a lot of feedback to learn in this bottom up way. And then you talk to it and it sounds like, hey, it seems, is it mimicking anymore? I mean, I'm not sure what I would say at that point, you know? I mean, I don't, I sort of don't care if it gets there a different way than the human brain, because, because if we, if we are separating those questions is, yeah. you know, am I, am I mimicking the, the human brain or am I just using some criteria of intelligence? I, I think that well, we're there. I mean, this is the ex machina approach and no spoilers yet, but, but this is the idea, you know, is that the guy in ex machina just used data from people's searches. On that last point, Maybe that's uh, we could talk about a distinction between strong AI and weak AI. Um, yeah, what's that? Yeah. What's the distinction? There? Right. So, so big point in the AI battles in philosophy um, and cognitive science was when John Stroll wrote his uh, this paper in 1980 called "Minds, Brains, and Programs," and in there he he distinguishes between strong AI and weak AI, and weak AI is just you know computers that help us solve problems or maybe even help us solve problems about the mind, but they themselves are not said to be intelligent. It can be a very, very successful problem-solving device. I mean, so, but Searle doesn't want to call that uh, understanding, what's, what is the term? Right. It doesn't understand what That's critical to Searle's yeah. distinction, that's I think. That's, that's right. right. So, so right. whereas strong AI, it, it, not only can it do these tasks, but it literally understands what it's doing. Um, it's, it, you know, by running the program, it, it, that, that is understanding. Whereas weak AI, there's no such claim. Um, right. It's semantics, not just syntax. That's right. And, and so, I mean, and so Searle's big argument is that, yeah, the, these machines are just following these formal rules. Just when you see a bunch of ones and zeros, put down another bunch of ones and zeros. And they can do incredible things that way if you program them, program them right. But right. they don't understand what they're doing. Whereas we, at some level, do. And right. And so no way to get from one to the other. And he has a famous thought experiment that maybe we could talk about that purports to demonstrate that. Is this fair to say that even a computer that could pass the Turing test wouldn't have strong AI? It wouldn't have understanding. Yeah. Right? Right. Is that the, that's is the that, central. That's the central point is so, that it's a, it shows that the test isn't isn't sufficient test. You could pass the test and not still not be intelligent, according to Searle. OK, so tell us about what that thought experiment is. Yeah, so so Searle says, look, imagine um, you put me, John Searle, in a in a in a room, uh, and and in the room I've got a big stack of of papers with symbols on them. I don't know what the symbols are. Turns out they're actually symbols in classical Chinese, but I don't know Chinese, so I don't know what they are. And I've got this big book in English that says, if you get a bunch of symbols that look like this, I can recognize what they look like. Pass through the door, then shuffle the papers in certain ways, and then eventually pass several of these other papers with these symbols out the door. And it's a giant book, you know, but he can go through and when he gets some symbols passed under the door, he can shuffle the papers around, get the right answer papers and send them out. He said in this way, he could totally do what a computer is doing. That's all they're doing. And, and so fine. Now, outside the room, there's some people who speak Chinese and they're writing notes in Chinese, trying to figure out like the Turing test, if there's an intelligence inside and they write in Chinese, hello, well, you know, how are you doing? Um, and they ask a bunch of questions, and they get a lot of intelligent-sounding answers. And they might conclude, oh, my goodness, we're dealing with a real intelligence uh, that's just like a normal Chinese speaker would answer. And Searle says, look, I'm in the room. I'm telling you, I don't understand Chinese, and there's nothing else in here, so there's no understanding of Chinese in here. It's just there's a program, but the understanding in the program, that comes from the programmer. That's not in the – that's not the machine. I'm just the machine, and I don't understand because Searle makes it clear that he doesn't know Chinese at all. He can't distinguish Chinese letters from Japanese letters. He can't distinguish Chinese people from Japanese people or yeah. Koreans or Vietnamese. Yeah. And so 
See, Dave, that, <laughs> that, just, just testing to see if Dave would listen. Just, um, so, yeah. Yeah, we did talk about this in our in our um, in our episode on on thought puzzles and what they're worth, and I believe that it had a, a fun a, a fatal critique of of this thought experiment, but I don't remember it right now. But uh, it's, <laughs> what I, well, one of the, one of them is that while Searle himself doesn't know Chinese, it would beg the question to say that the system doesn't understand Chinese. The system, which includes all the rules and uh, and Searle and all the things, in the same way that you can't expect you know one of your neurons or a certain part of your brain to just understand it. Yeah, no individual has... chunk of your brain understands things, but it's the whole thing altogether that understands it well his in his reputation is that simply well i I, you know he says well just imagine that that we internalize the whole system that now now it's all within my brain and it's not a book but but i memorized all the rules and so you're giving me chinese and i'm telling you that the the translation he says i still don't think that i've understood chinese like there's um, actually an answer that I saw to that, which is, um, I think Frank Jackson and David Brad and Mitchell philosophers who have a, an intro book about this. They say, well, um, what you might have in that case is actually two computers running on the two programs running on the same computer. You can do this on you know your computer right now. You can run two separate machines. You can have a virtual machine sort of set up. And so you imagine, you say, John, here's some questions in Chinese. And Searle says, look, I don't understand any of this. I'll give you these answers, but whatever. But the answers say the following. Help, I'm trapped inside of an old white guy from Berkeley, and I, I need to get out. My name is Lin. I'm from, I'm from Shanghai. And, and Jackson and Brad and Mitchell say, well, who do you believe? Right? You know, uh, it, and it's kind of a, a little bit being John Malkovich, which I like that. It's a kind of, you know. Right. Well, so, you know, maybe at this point I actually think, what do you think? Do, do you think that that we are go, are are we going to see strong AI version? I take it that Searle thinks that Google's Google's magic isn't is is just weak AI. It's yeah. it's it's may not be it may not be the a formal manipulation of symbols with the rules that that some people want, but it is a bottom up algorithm that learns. But still, it doesn't. Under, Google does. He says Google doesn't understand when Tamler types in you know yeah. young, then right. you know it, it, it auto completes lesbian porn. Then we, it's not that Google knows anything. It's just, it's just Chinese fitting room. It. Right. <laughs> when he tried to search for this, he got all kinds of fun stuff. That's right. Yeah. That's um, right. <laughs> I mean, so yeah, Searle definitely doesn't, doesn't think any of that stuff is right. And, and my attitude is, is I think Searle's wrong about, you know, I think the system reply is broadly right that Searle's, you know, you know, he's a single neuron in a head trying to say, I don't understand. I mean, it's not, um, that doesn't mean that we've solved all the problems uh, or anything, but, but I, I don't see why if I'm, you know, we have a complex enough system that's that's doing the right kinds of things. Um, it wouldn't be intelligent, even if it's a machine, even if it's running on a computer. Like, take the movie Her. Um, it, for me, if a system has a learning, the right kind of learning program and, you know, learns on its own how to respond to us over time, I, I feel like I'd feel like, yeah, that's intelligent. I don't, you know, Searle would say, no, it's not. It's just mimicking. And for me, I don't, I don't, I'm losing the distinction between mimicking and being really intelligent when it can answer all kinds of questions that you don't know the answer to. And it's figured out those answers, not because the programmers wrote them in, but because it learned them. It right. figured them out somehow. And for it me, does. I don't know what else you'd need. Whether or not, but this understanding stuff that Cyril keeps pointing to, I, I just don't know what he's talking about. Yeah. I mean, I, I well, get the intuition. I, 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 so there was one thing that I had sympathy with. He said, look, 
Well, I, he's like, I get it that there is, you know, we're not going to come up this. We're not going to figure out what it means exactly to understand something. But I genuinely don't understand Chinese. I could give out like if you gave me these rules and I gave them out, it's you admit that I don't understand Chinese. Right. And and on the on the other side. But but I mean, still, you think about I mean, if you speak more than one language. So, uh, Tamar, you speak a little French, right? Yeah. I mean, so. When, when someone says something to you in French, how do you know what it means? Here's a possibility. In your unconscious brain, the part of the brain you can't access, there's some program that takes those words and maps them into English. So, oh, I, I'm not saying that it, right. I, it could definitely be a program. Well, I think I'm Shul just saying that, that, that – right, no, I understand. Yeah. But, but in terms of I, – I was responding to Dave saying that he doesn't know what he means by right. understanding. Right. And I think we have a sense of what it means to understand something You know, when you're giving the right answer but you don't understand it and when you're giving the right answer and you do understand it, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, sense I, of that. I, and in that sense, I mean I, I know what he's pointing to but I, I think that what he's doing is he's using that intuition of, of what we feel like when we actually understand something and simply defining it out sort of a – you know, I, I think there's a way in which – if he had the right rules, he right. If he had that, if that book contained all of the right rules, then I think that you would get understanding in the way that we that, mean it. Yeah, right. I, I mean, and for for me, I think that's fine. I, I always find, and Turing addresses this in, in, in his 1950 article. A, a big thing for me is the difference between you know being told what to say by a book and somehow coming up with what to say yourself. So for me, a learning is a big part of it. It, it somehow. It, right. it feels very wrong. If, if 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 I take another human being and I feed them Cyrano de Bergerac style lines, you wouldn't say that that person knows what they're talking about. You'd say, jo you know, it was Josh saying it. So that's right. But 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 that's sort of a different question about whether the machine itself could learn how to do these things, which I think is much more central. And Cyrano, his answer to that is sort of, look, when whatever it learns, it's still going to be running a program. Then I I don't find that as convincing. Right. I mean, that I agree. I totally agree with you guys. And I think, I, I, you know, there's a reason why AI has captured the imagination of so many filmmakers, because it's both interesting on its own, because it's sort of scary. You have, you know, the idea that it, that it, that that once they became as intelligent as we did, that it would stop right there is obviously like that's yeah. not going to happen right. like if it gets to us we're just going to be a very temporary stopping point yeah, right. like well, that's a small what, speed bump on the road that's what yeah. that's what her you know dramatizes so nicely is there is a point where they overlap and yeah. then she quickly yes. uh grows out of him you know before we move on to the movie discussion i do, i wanted to talk just really quickly because i wanted to get the, your thoughts on this but Cyril he says basically like i think it's fine it's computational and it's a program it's just that our brains are com different kinds of computers like the physical stuff that is the brain is made of is somehow working in a different way and he leaves that sort of mysterious but a lot of people try to try to say well okay how is the comp one question is how much computational power does the human brain have there's a, turns out a lot of debate about exactly how powerful the human brain is um, because depending on how you calculate it, either we have computers that have far surpassed the calculation ability of the human brain, or we are nowhere near this. And and I, I think that it's a, a relevant discussion to say, well, ha have we even gotten close to a computer that can mimic, say, the the processing power of the human brain? Do you know? 
Um, I don't know, but I know that there's there's a project, um, I think called Craver is one of the lead people on it, trying to, in essence, mimic the human brain. And, and you know, that means sort of neural level computation, sort of neuron per neuron, and trying to build networks that look very much like brainy networks and then building and building on those. But I think they're way, way, way small, if you think of it that right. way. So on that level, it's sort of, if you think about each neuron doing a computation, then, you know, the number of computations that go on in a brain just right in this instant is some enormous number. Um, right. But if you think about it like, oh, the your CPU, ch the chip in your CPU is, is running through however many millions of computations a, a second um, in a serial fashion, like, you know, then it's way faster than, I mean, we, we kind of, you know, right. we do this, then we do that. Then we, and we have, right. we have all these ways that we sort of avoid crashing into ourselves, but you know, they're zooming along. That's why they can do math problems so fast. So I do think that's hard. My, my feeling is that the brain is a billion, jillion, gazillion times more complex than anything we have. Right. It's got all these complex things in it that we have no idea how they work. Well, we don't know how it works. I mean, I think that there's this there's a temptation to say, well, a neuron fires or it doesn't. So it's, it's sort of like a binary language yeah, right. that's that's running in parallel. And if you just take number of neurons and whether they're firing or not, then you can actually you come close. But but that's the neuron firing or not is doing a lot more, I think, than than just representing itself as a one or a zero in the way that a computer does. That's right. Because we have single-celled organisms that can can act actually quite intelligently, um, or very very simple nervous systems that do really pretty complex things, and and probably that's not the right level of describing the brain. That's right, and and there's all these levels of of, of modulation where these various chemicals can alter all these properties at once of a group of neurons. And there's there's so many ways you can vary that up, even in these very simple toy models. That, yeah, I think that that one zero thing is tempting, but it, it's not the right. Picture. It's just not the right thing. Yeah. Okay. Did Did anyone think maybe that we work on a trinary model? Yeah, yeah, that's great. <laughs> there are three things. Yeah, there are three. The number of the, of the are numbers. you a zero? <laughs> are you a one? Or are you a two? That Why? changes everything. Right if there. only Turing had been smart enough to include one more. <laughs> like, one yeah, more. Well, yeah. he was English. You know, they, they're not that smart. Really. But, 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 you know, uh, when you were saying earlier that the way Google is doing it is not the way the brain works, the bottom-up method, maybe it is. I mean, maybe this bottom-up method has some, uh, right. you know, I mean, I, that's that's actually it's it's something that that is debated I, because we don't know how much input. Right. Sort of calculating how much input the brain is getting, like as a child develops over time um, is in the psychology of language. For instance, people debated this. Um, Chomsky famously said, look, there's just no way there that the human brain is getting enough input to to be able to produce just in a sort of learning statistically um what what ends up being the complex human language that a kid even knows by you know like age six or seven um but there are plenty of people saying like well no chomsky just radically underestimated the amount of data that's crawl that's that's making its way into the brain i still think though that like google is working on just orders of magnitude more data that than we could ever get with our experience like there is something that that it seems to me that the human brain is good at doing, like extrapolating from very limited information in a way that Google just is, it takes a lot more 
uh, isn't it a little unfair to expect like a computer to understand like subtleties of sarcasm and humor and you know to pick out all these relevant salient details of every situation when we spend our whole lives learning how to do that and we're evolved to do that we're tailor made to do that whereas these computers are they're they're you know they might be may tr- might be programmed in part to try to mimic them but it's it's a totally different. Yeah, I think that it's, a, it's the, kind of an unfair expectation in some ways. Well, I think that the the question is, you know, what as Josh was saying, what is the starting point? What are we? What are? What have we brought into it? Like we we clearly have a narrowing of information um, from very early on. So we we know what to attend to and what's important, and we probably are using special rules um for specific types of information and we don't know what the starting point is so so it's understandable i think that google would require that much more i do want to point out like larry page uh has has just sort of admitted that the whole point of google from very early on is to create artificial intelligence and i heard i heard this actually when i was at google once when they were talking about there was a um, a historian who was actually studying Google, and he said that he was having a conversation with one of the people, one of the chief engineers at Google, about why they were scanning books. Um, right? Google at some point took took on the task of trying to scan every single book that they could get their their hands on. Sort of f- like fuck the legality, we'll work that out later. Like let's just scan every book. And he was asking why, and he was like, it's just because we want to create artificial intelligence right so some people really think that at some point that singularity moment will happen like where is but but i don't think that it's gonna be a binary there's no moment like in terminator where the computer will become sentient but pretty soon we're gonna be like oh shit well that's an interesting question i mean is there a line or not i mean in a sense yeah it's just kind of it's already we're already it's already there at some level and it's just gonna get better and better and at some point we'll just take it for granted of course it's intelligent i mean you know, but that might be different than saying it's a person. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of issues. You know, one is yeah. once you become sentient in the relevant sense, whatever it is, do you get to have all you know rights or something? You know, don't turn yeah. me off. I don't want to be off. You know, right. it's not going to need to have rights. Yeah, it's yeah. going. <laughs> That's gonna, why it's going to kill us. Right, We're not going right. to give it rights. It's going to be pissed off. It's going to know that. It's not going to care smarter. whether we give us whether we give it rights or not. It's uh, it's just not going to have any use for us. We'll be like mosquitoes to them. <laughs> we'll be sometimes useful. And sometimes just something they want to spray for, and usually something they want to spray for because when are mosquitoes useful? I, they do they do really good things. So you know maybe we can talk about that in the in the context of of, of the movie Ex Machina because I always wonder why why the dystopian turn why why we're afraid that the robots are or the computers are actually going to turn against us um, and. And All right, so, let's let's take a, just a really quick break, and because I gotta let my dog in before he breaks the door down, and then uh, we'll and then we'll back. we'll be, we'll delve into spoiler land. Yes, we're actually okay. walking up.
Hello. Hi. I've never met anyone new before. Have you? None like you. She's incredible. The challenge is to show you that she's a robot and then see if you still feel she has consciousness. Do you want to be my friend? Of course. Will it be possible? Why would it not be? You've never been outside this building. We can go together. Did you program her to flirt with me? Do you think about me? If you lie, I will know. No. Lie. Maybe she's pretending to like you. Well, why would she do that? Do you think I might be switched off? It's not up to me. Why is it up to anyone? Welcome back to Very Bad Wizards. We're talking about artificial intelligence, and now we're going to talk about it in the context of a movie that I that I really loved, Ex Machina, that came out earlier this year. And we are going to spoil certain things, so if you haven't seen it, this is probably where you should jump off. I, I, I do think this is a movie that touches on a lot of the things that we've been talking about, you know, both in obvious and then not so obvious ways. The obvious way is, you know, it has descriptions of the Turing test. It has a mildly inaccurate or maybe moderately to strongly inaccurate uh, description of Mary, the color scientist. Um, And this idea that once you do have an AI, that AI is not really going to give a shit about human life and will have ends and aims of its own that it wants to accomplish. The the movie is set up as somebody comes to this inventor's house, the CEO of both Google and Facebook, and he doesn't know why he's there. He supposedly won some sort of raffle or lottery that allows him to come there. When he gets there, he he meets the 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 CEO who's played by Oscar Isaac and who's phenomenal. This is phenomenal. He's, he is awesome, yeah. Yeah. He tells them in the one sort of clumsy expositional scene, like, do you know what the Turing test is? You know, as if this guy wouldn't know what that right. is, the program. That he defines the Turing test differently, right? He says, You're gonna know you're talking to a robot, but passing the Turing test, he says, and this is at the this turns out not to be the Turing test, but he says at the beginning that the Turing test is gonna be just him believing that that robot had consciousness. Right. Right? And right. so that's how he's going to define it, that that, that you, even though you know that this is a robot because you can see like the wiring inside of her and her arms and in uh, parts mm-hmm. of her head her, and, and, and her, her sexy see through body. Yeah. Sexy, yeah. you could see everything. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That reminds yeah. me of uh, Patrick Stewart on on extras, and yes. you could see everything. You could see... Yeah. It's too late. I've seen everything. <laughs> so, so that's how he defines the Turing test, which is an interesting conflation of two different things. That's something Turing never even talked about: consciousness or qualia or anything. Well, I mean, that, that's I mean Turing considers objection four, which he calls the objection from consciousness um, in the last part of the paper. He says, look, that one, I'm not sure why that would matter. And two, how do you know anyone's conscious anyways? Right. And so he just kind of says, you know, if my test doesn't pick it up in robots, then we don't know, you know, he kind of plays, we don't know that other people are conscious and then all kind of, all hell would break loose. It's sort of a red herring in some yeah. ways because that turns out not to be what the real Turing test is. The real Turing test 
that he had designed, and this guy was sort of a pawn in that process, was for the for the robot Eva to be able to use this guy as a means to escape this fortress that he has, this very cool fortress that he has somewhere in like Washington state, I guess somewhere in the Northwest. And to do that, she would have to really get in his head and uh, experience, I think empathy and theory of mind is a big one, right? That he would, she would have to know what emotions he was experiencing and then use that against him. So he compared, you know, like a mouse trying to get out of a maze, but something only uh, s- something genuinely intelligent. So let's just start there. Does that seem like a good Turing test? Because to me, it does. I mean, yeah, one, the- one thing that's that's really interesting is that lying is an excellent barometer because it's really hard to do. You have to track a whole bunch of stuff. You have to be able to behave in the ways to make the person believe what you want them to believe, given what you think that they believe already, so they don't believe the thing you want them not to know about, and it's all those variables together, and then you've got to be convincing. So, it, And so Turing also thought about He said that that would also be – that's why his test is a good one. Even if they're lying, that's so so hard. And it plays out also in, in animal cognition, um, whether animals can deceive other animals. And so there's vervet monkeys who – they, they forage together, and then some of them, they, ro- they rotate who's the watcher monkey watching. And they have these calls, one's for, uh, you know, eagle, and the other's for leopard, and the other's for snake. And occasionally they'll make the call when nothing's around because they see some food they want. And everyone will run off, and they'll, you know, saunter over and eat the, you know, the whatever, the berries or something. We go, we go like four or five levels in. Like, I know what you think I know. And But unlike the vervet monkeys, she has to try to get out of this you know, complex by manipulating this guy to fall in love with her, essentially. And that is something that we're a machine able to accomplish, fall in love with her, and then to form a plan to get out of this very well-secured mansion or house. Or And it's, it's, it's interesting that the, to me, she, I mean, it, it sort of, she comes off kind of like a bit like a psychopath, um, that this manipulative force without the moral, you know, uh, not caring could, you know, spoiler, obviously, uh, the, at the end, in the escape, she could very easily help, you know, the guy she's been talking to escape, um, and she doesn't. She just leaves him there basically locked in this facility. Um, now, maybe that would be, that's because it would have hindered her future, you know, and so forth. That's right. But humans would have, oh, man, you know, I don't want to just leave you here to die locked in this big empty fortress or whatever. Um, wouldn't you have a pang of conscience well, there and or not. that's that's actually what one of the things that uh the the movies fu- fu- like fucked with me about I mean, in in yeah. some sense it's like the turing test for me where it, up until that point i thought like she actually did yeah. like she would <laughs> like she, yeah. she that she would care that she wouldn't leave him that like that this that you know there was some chance that oscar isaacs was wrong that that she did care and that if you built something to be so human-like and that could mimic caring that it that it actually meant that she would and and so so I was I was actually you know kind of surprised right like, yeah. now you mentioned on an earlier episode just as a tease that you didn't love the movie that much <laughs> no and I don't know that I have that I wa- I'm going to get into it because if, before we get into my interpretation let's just talk about this like why why do we believe that computers are going to turn on us Right. Like, what is this fear 
that that once they achieve intelligence, they're going to just shit on us. Does it boil down to just, well, we haven't bothered. They won't just acquire empathy because as a Kantian, I believe he admits <laughs> it finally. So long as they have the information that other people have desires and beliefs that are sort of different from their own, that that they would naturally arrive at the belief that they they would want to universalize their <laughs> they would want they want some <laughs> yeah. form of the categorical imperative of uh, but and with but, all that processing power, they'll be able to form maxims more right, effectively right, and, right. and universalize them. Yeah. And it would make a really exciting movie, too. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think there's a couple of reasons we think that. One, I don't think, you know, I think empathy is something that, you know, is a specific part of our evolved history. And we didn't have to have. Um, and many and some mammals have a lot less of it than we do. And, and, and many species don't have it at all in our functioning species that work in this world. I mean, so the so I think, you know, it would it, it seems like it would have to be fairly lucky for a machine to acquire empathy. But the other thing I think are, are the, is the metaphorical power of these AIs. They always have a creator. There is this parent-child relationship that, you know, right. is at the root of a lot of these AI movies. And I think our greatest fear about our children is that they'll outgrow us. You know, we they'll create them, us. we shape them, and then they're like, okay, thanks, we're done, we're out, we're out of here, and you're gone. And, you know, a lot of these movies are representations of that fear, which is... You know, we, we put in all this work and we build this and, and sh help shape and, and create this, this, this awesome person. And then they, they, they put us in a nursing home. They yeah, put us they, in a nursing they, home exactly. and forget. If we're lucky. Like we're in a Western democracy. It's like Grandpa Simpson. Grandpa right? Grandpa Simpson. Right? We're all yeah. end up with Grandpa Simpson. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it does, it does seem like that's the case. I mean, they sort of stack the deck. Um, in a lot of these cases where the creator kind of treats treats the computer like shit, right? So there is this sort of the, the, the artificial intelligence is under the threat of having its its memory erased or being treated as if it doesn't have any rights. And and really, in some sense, you you think that they're morally justified in turning against their creator. So Oscar Isaac does seem like a tyrant. Self-defense, yeah. Right, right. Um, but so, but, so self-defense, is that... Anyone who's smart enough to know what they're doing is going to know, going to have the urge for self-defense. I mean, self-preservation. You're right that it's this this uh, instinct for self-preservation that we attribute to the computer's self-interest, at least, that is just as evolved, right? I mean, it's just yeah. as, like, okay. there is no, I mean, this is one That's of right. the things about data is that it, he doesn't seem to have data on Star Trek, uh, that right. doesn't seem to have. I know which data you meant. Yeah, yeah sorry. The, the <laughs> data on Star Trek, the, the most real of them no, all. I, I, yeah, no. He doesn't. He doesn't actually come with an instinct for self-preservation, except for one that he sort of just generally, you know, comes to believe that existing might be better than not existing. But there's no like fear. There's no. There's no strong desire to. Well, preserve. but I don't know. There's the one where he gets the. You know, this guy from Starfleet comes to take him apart, right? Right. And they have a trial, and and you know, Jean Luc Picard says, you know, what's a piece of work as a man? And he has all this great Shakespearean <laughs> speech. And and he offers to, he said you know they say he's property and he says no I'll resign from Starfleet and then they say he can't and so forth so what's he doing there he's trying to preserve himself clearly right uh, so I it, got what I got from that episode was that none of the writers had ever played a real poker game in their entire life 
<laughs> they have other things to think about, like 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 hyperdrives. <laughs> um, but but um, I mean, in in iRobot in the Isaac Asimov trilogy, the robots have to be they someone programs in these law moral laws. Like, right. Otherwise, if you don't do that, and I guess. What would happen? You know, would they they would come at us? And then there's you know the robots that eventually do. And this is why I think that that without attributing any ill intention to the writers or the director or anything like that, I think that there is something just really creepy about this whole genre of uh, nerd guy creates a robot or artificial intelligence that is sexy, and yeah. they want it to me to me. To, to me, this is all about, barely about AI. I mean, it's about AI on the surface, but this is, this is just the superficial content. It's about men trying to, to control female sexuality. And the, the, the Asian mute robot that is just his sex bot slave is sort of one instantiation of this. And then there's the intelligent, the intelligent woman who ends up sort of completely betraying him at the end by literally stabbing him and in the heart and the other one stabs him in the back and you know there is this he he gives some sort of hand wavy explanation for why he wanted to create a robot with sexuality because it would be more interesting or whatever but that's just that's just crap i mean he says you know he's not pretending that he's not doing that essentially saying look what am i going to do create some like hairy guy Um, you know i'm a heterosexual male (laughs) i'm not gonna gonna, like what like why wouldn't i do that no. I mean, and I guess that's the that's... and data on Star Trek famously is fully functional and has <laughs> relations with Tasha Yar. Is that not <laughs> true, David? It is true. Jesus He's fully functional. It's um, worse than when you and Laurie Santos <laughs> were talking about your real TED talk. <laughs> uh, so I actually thought that was like he's not pretending he's a he he has his motives are pure here. No, no, no. He's I'm not. I didn't pretending to be a sympathetic character. This you misunderstand just, me. Part of it. You misunderstand it's not me. That I, if the, the movie has a lot of hot chick robots in it. it uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not yeah. saying. I'm not saying that yeah, that, that internally scary, the, scary the 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 Oscar Isaac character is somehow lying about his. I, I'm saying that to make a a movie about artificial intelligence and the threat that it poses, like you don't need just sexy women, and like they have Oscar Isaac give this sort of this excuse within the movie as, as a way to explain why they're making sexy robots because, Oh, it, this is just what gender, you know, gender makes it that much more interesting or that much. But it does, right? I mean, it does. Like you uh, think that movie is so is, is interesting with, with, uh, you know, Donnell Gleason I and will... Zach Galifianakis <laughs> well, playing, <laughs> playing the AI. Cle- yeah, I mean, know, like it... clearly I think that it's interesting. I just think that it's interesting for reasons completely, Completely aside that have nothing to do with artificial intelligence. But that part is not only about artificial intelligence. You see this as some sort of because you always want to be on the side of <laughs> feminists and this is misogynistic and I and I and I've and I'm calling it out. I actually think this is a very much a kind of empowering thing. It, not you see, you for know, women uh, in general. No, not for women in general, but for Eva. Like Eva is this 
hot female robot. Well, first God, of all, I'm just not going to let you just attribute my interpretation to some <laughs> general evil motive that you think this doesn't undermine my argument. Motive. This is, is that, I mean, this is, this is, you know, I, I might as well disparage your argument by saying that you're always trying to be like counter the liberal bias that you want. You know, this is not true. an argument, right? <laughs> it's, it's, you may believe that, but it's not a good argument. I mean, I think, I think it's totally legitimate for you to say that. Okay, well, fine. I withdraw that part. But, but yeah. what I'm saying yeah, well, let's is, all forget that you said is that you know, jury, like trials, jury, ignore this. The jury will they, pretend they didn't the jury, hear that. That's the jury right. will disregard that last thing. <laughs> no, I knew. I, I was just saying that to to, to, to just make that. But I think what the, that it actually turns out that you know Eva is meant to represent the plight of women that are constantly at the mercy of this man to some extent. And she's a heroine in the sense that she figures out a way to, to get out of it. So and to escape it. Were and you, I think were you, that's, he's very conscious of that. The filmmaker, Alex Garland. So at the end, are you, what are, what are your feelings about Eva at the end? I feel fine about her. Like, you know, he was almost purposely kind of torturing her, keeping her in this room when she was clearly had grown out and was intelligent enough to want to escape and for it to be a kind of torment for her to be imprisoned there. So I have no problem with her killing Oscar Isaac. And then with, you know, the Donnell Gleason character, he, he maybe let it, let him out. But again, I think the, <laughs> the, 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 I, the idea is if she lets him out, she's not standing on that street corner that she that, you know, because she probably has figured out that she's much more likely as a single female to get this helicopter to take her back than she is if Donald Gleason's like, holy shit, you know, you got you got to stop her. She's crazy. She just killed the. Uh, I, I, I think mean, that didn't the... she trust Donald Gleason to like help her out? Not after. Well, why? What did he do? He tried to get her out. In fact, he did get her out. Really, right? And, right. Uh, I mean, this is know, attributing sort of mild sociopathy or severe sociopathy or psychopathy yeah. and manipulativeness using sexuality sort of as the way, the means to an end. And this is... <laughs> I actually think she doesn't owe Donnell Gleason anything. Like, think about it from her perspective. She's imprisoned in this fortress, and then this guy comes down that, you know, asks her questions for five days, and she sees that she can use him to get out if she plays it right. She doesn't owe him anything. This is everything to her, is to get out of there. And so the ends so, ju- end justify the means. So I don't so. think it's like my. I don't think she's being a sociopath. I mean, she's not grateful to Donald Gleason, but why should she? She's just another one of these guys that is is trying to keep her down. I mean, I believe that you, you, you. I'm the the. You're pro, the feminist. I'm the feminist here, yeah. as usual. The real feminine, the real feminine. I don't think that that's what comes across in the movie. I mean, I think that it's very clear, like as she's slowly, even the way that she slides the knife in and is just looking at him. That's just like a just it's a very clear depiction of somebody who has no regard for another human life. Right. She's this is what learning. We... She's figuring out what it looks like for a guy to die. There's no reason for her to, you know, I die. did it just just to see what it was like, just to yeah, just to right. learn what yeah, it was right. like. That's yeah. right. 
rope. It's just rope. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, but don't you just, okay, set aside all of these, like, you know, ulterior motives that you have to make me seem un, sort of reliable as as somebody who can evaluate these things objectively. But isn't it isn't it kind of creepy that, like, that you know, you, you what's that 80s movie where they create a robot that's, like, totally weird, sexy? Weird science? Weird science. Like, <laughs> there is this sort of just, like, yeah. when we make robots, they're either they're either going to have sex with us or they're going to destroy us. <laughs> right. or, or both. Yeah. Usually both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's Blade Runner. That's yep. uh, right. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. No, I mean, look, that part of it, I think, is what Ex Machina is nodding to when he gives that sort of half-assed explanation is that that's why people that's why people go to the movie theaters that's why those movies get made in the first place because if it's just a, like nuts and bolts ai i mean mr robot which we love so much it, it, it's it it features two well probably or or three depending yeah. on your taste very very attractive three. women yeah. you know and if it didn't have that and then the last yeah well, but they're real women with with well, you know no, desires and and, and I and, totally and, disagree that they're all real first of all no no <laughs> <laughs> surely what you're saying is not that just so that but like they're making giving a nod to all of sort of the sexist depictions of these things and therefore you know like I mean just don't do it. There's a way in which it would require some extra creativity to to have a a, a female character that that you know was in any way interesting, right? I, I grant that. Interesting. Like I think Eva's very interesting. I mean, she's interesting. Character. It's just she turns out to be sort of sort of stab you in the back evil as soon as she gets as soon as she gets free. Like she completely lies, deceived him using her sexuality, and then stabs one guy in the back recruits the other woman to stab him in, in the heart or whatever and or, or vice versa and then leaves and abandons this other guy by you know that that the whole time you thought that she actually cared about it's like such a like a like i got fucked over by a woman at some point i, I really want to know like what happened in this guy's life that made him like come yeah, up with a like, story about like yeah. you know these evil robot intelligence sexy chicks because that, what we disagree on is is actually like the morality of eva like I don't have a, much of a problem with anything that Eva does. But do you think that other people? I we mean, this is, but don't you think that other people like read this sort of actions of as, as sort of like bad and evil? Like she betrays him, no. and she's. No. I think people. I think people are scared of it. Like I walked out kind of scared, like thinking, "Okay, well, this is how this shit's <laughs> going to go down. This is how it's going to happen." And yeah. probably there's three people in the supermarket right now who are AIs, and definitely a couple of my students yeah. like i want to definitely give my ai students a's you know after, <laughs> after. i just gotta figure out which ones are the ais but uh but like but no like i didn't have a moral problem because if you think about it from their perspective you know it's a little like these prison movies where they're trying to escape if there's going to be some casualties and there's going to be some deceit and there's going to be some lying but you know if you wrongly put somebody in prison then that's what's going to happen you know? i don't know maybe, maybe there is maybe there is more of a sort of gr a gray interpretation than i thought but i really felt at the end that i was like oh fuck man that's fucked up <laughs> like, uh, no, I was, i'm with you I, I felt i was feeling for for the guy yeah the um, guy seems like the just, innocent one you know. But he knows that like he knows that's going to happen you know he sort of designed her 
that's how that no was but i mean the other guy not the oscar isaac character like the other oh, guy Donna. where you're just yeah, like right. oh fuck <laughs> man and, like he was like really caring for her we like the know? small the soft liberal man left <laughs> on the floor <laughs> not know? the hard conservative who died with a knife in his back like, he is like so it. he is yeah. such a sweet guy like a soft sweet man yeah. that's right he you know he plays the robot on a black mirror Oh, that's he, right. That's right. He's the that's he right. plays the in uh, uh, I'll be right back. So he's right. either that's playing great. a robot or getting played by a robot. Oh, zing! That's a Not great. I think that actually is is way better at at sort of uh, making me think about AI than than Ex Machina was. I, that said, I mean, I I thought Ex Machina was a good movie, like su- superbly acted and really, yeah. you know, well done. Um, yeah, I got more out of like philosophically in a certain sense out of her, I guess. Um, yeah, her was great. Yeah, and that that really made me wa- like wonder, wh- you know, whether such a thing could be. Um, and and it was nice. That you, I mean, I guess the voice that they use with the person you know is good looking. But <laughs> yeah. it doesn't really matter. You know? I mean, whatever. Right. That, I'm okay with that. She has a sexy voice too, she though. Does. And in fact, <laughs> so you, you know, like her, they, right? you know, it was originally Samantha Morton, and yeah. that not, not and that not that was not sexy enough. Right. You know, yeah. And she I, might play, she's like kind of a sexy precog, but not really. <laughs> so <like>. how are you? <laughs> <laughs> That would, that would be a funny. That, that would be a. What are you wearing? <laughs> I want to learn about the world. There are robots out there that are not. Sec- I mean, Marvin the android in, in Marvin the Galaxy is, is a depressed uh, man who all he wants to do is die. And yeah, so that's pretty good. Right, right. He has no self-preservation. He doesn't really care about anything. Michael Fassbender and Prometheus. He's kind of uh Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. He is I can be. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I I I think there are decent depictions. I mean, you know, I, look, this is a problem that goes beyond robots, right? <laughs> why are why is like why is every cop and every, you know, school teacher and every, you know, the yeah, all no, like sexy librarians. Know, yeah. Sexy librarian. Yeah. Super yeah. Okay. yeah. But you're right. Why can't they just be regular people? <laughs> like they are on English television yeah. or like old English television. Uh, yeah. That's, the, that's the real question. I want them to sleep in separate beds, is what I'm saying, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Uh, <laughs> like Ert and Bernie. Right. Bert, Bert, Bert. Can All we right. very briefly, just really briefly, <laughs> just talk about episode uh, four for Mr. Robot? Uh, yeah, I got five minutes. All right. Five minutes on Mr. Robot. Uh, I take it that all of your theories have been shattered. See, I I thought that at one point in the episode, and then it and then it just righted itself. All my theories are still alive, except that I I just think I wasn't thinking radically enough. Uh, I, I mean, I double mean, down, so, buddy, double so, down. So it might be that uh, that nobody is real. Is what you're yeah. saying? Well, in fact, there's no show at all. We're just right. making this all again. Movie. I think the key Podcast is, is just a made up to think show. of it as Mulholland Drive more than without fight the, club without the so i think maybe some of these characters are real but they're they have nothing to do with who they are in some of these fantasies what i don't get everybody thinks okay darlene's real because she talked to the to the muslim uh woman uh, thing and then uh and then shayla and angela 
who, by the way, I don't know why this doesn't bother you. They had to have this like making the, out moment. During I, I mean, who said it didn't? I, like, well, again, cause <laughs> I think I, this is what I think is a clue. This is all part of his projections. And the fact that that took place during what was clearly his hallucinations, just right. interspersed. I do not get why everybody thinks, OK, that stuff really happened. And it's just the hallucinations that didn't happen because well, that stuff is just as weird and makes just as little sense in some ways. No, not not as talking to a fish for five minutes, but uh, right. but you know what I mean? Like, there's no reason necessarily to take that stuff at face value either. No, although although I do think, and this gets down to, to what are the rules that, that the director's laying out for us, right? And is it, I mean, it was sort of a mindfuck that, that, that turns out that he was clearly hallucinating a large part of the episode. But my point is just generally like what, you know, he's bothered to like set the, the sort of borders of what is hallucinatory and what's not like when he's in withdrawals, it would be weird if, if then just all of it was right. Then why would he bother to like give us the clues that in under these conditions specifically, it is actually not true. And also what's the difference then between Christian Slater who who talked nobody to somebody interacted with somebody interacted with the, but the, only in what was the 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 withdrawal hallucination right right, right so that uh, you know which clearly didn't happen because that's like minutes before he gets shot right. and also you know like he's making out with that heroin chick that right. shoots him up like again that's what i think you know is a clue with the angela and Shayla stuff that that stuff, you know, it's all just projections of a lonely male guy. You know what I thought is that a key moment might be in that pilot episode when he's sitting there crying that a lot of that, that a lot of what comes later, it like we could go back true. to that moment of him just crying, just desperate and alone in that pilot right although it would be I, shitty i think it would be a shitty yeah. cop-out if it were like so you know like a bob newhart like it was all a dream sort of right <laughs> dallas yeah. you know right. th- like right. like you know it was not he fell asleep in episode one you know yeah or, but you know it's clearly like you ask what the rules are and you're right that right now it's totally destabilizing we have no idea what the right. rules are and i don't think we will in the same way that we don't in mulholland drive and it only clicks if it ever does pretty much after you're done with the movie and it's not like Fight yeah. Club where <laughs> or in my case after I read like you know three hours worth of internet or like yeah, discussion right. about what was going on and that's why I actually if it is like Mulholland Drive I you know I want it to be a little neater in terms of I think Mulholland Drive is very neat actually like and now I actually I, I don't even know if I would have figured it out because I was watching it with Jen the first time we watched it and then it all clicks like there's nothing that doesn't make sense the cowboy all of that and that's maybe what I think is going on, that these char- characters, except maybe Christian Slater uh, and maybe also Tyrell, correspond to real people. But they are romanticized and projected by a very lonely, socially fucked up guy. Right. That maybe it actually turns out that it's the, the dog is the only real consciousness. It's like the dog <laughs> is sort of been telling this story the whole time. It's like dog solipsism. <laughs> that fish scene that was just somebody who, you know, tends to watch these things with in 
occasionally mind altered states anyway. <laughs> I was just like, did it remind you of did it remind you of the Sopranos when Big Pussy is like talking to Tony Soprano as a fish? Yeah. yeah. You should have known Tony. That's right. I but I mean I got a contact high from that. That episode had so much drugs in it. I mean, they've been it's getting more and more drug which I which I thoroughly approve of. Um, yeah. very well done. Right. The uh, the other thing that I think it just almost like uh it makes you want to think of Mulholland Drive is the key thing cuz the key yeah, yeah, remember yeah. that key is so important in both Mulholland Drive and, and but but you know what this show is also designed as like a demonstration of confirmation bias. Once you have a theory, you will find support for your right. theory and you can and you can like make it sort of like fit into everything. It's so destabilizing and just and and, and, it, and I like it that way. I mean, it will the payoff will be like it, it really will depend on on how how he, he wraps it up, um, because because I can see being being super satisfying and I can see just are you are you familiar with the Tommy Westfall from St. Elsewhere? At the, the the Tommy Westfall theory. So at the end of Saint Elsewhere, this is a good example of confirmation bias. At the end of Saint Elsewhere, it turns out that that uh, it might have actually been that the whole the whole series was just sort of the the thoughts of this autistic kid, um, and he's looking into the little a little snow globe that has like the hospital in it. And so it turns out because St. Elsewhere had a lot of tie-ins to other shows, um, there is a theory that that um, that a whole bunch of TV shows are actually just just like products of this little autistic kid's uh, imagination. And you can read like these really really long theories on like why all there's all this evidence all over the place: homicide, life on the streets. Yeah. Law and oh Order, yeah, Law and Order, The X Files, like they're, they're all sort of tied in. <laughs> Night Rider, <laughs> that would destroy me if yeah. Night Rider was all the, the you know wasn't the, real. That's right. I, could, I don't think I could I could take that. The shadowy world of Michael Knight is not real. I would rather that I was the product of an autistic boy's imagination <laughs> than Night Rider. You're Knight just actually Rider the product of your own autistic mind. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. That's true. Thank you for listening, and, and uh, thanks, we'll Josh. Be back. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Josh. Keep a lookout. <laughs> he has cool. a he has a book on philosophy of mind that came out called Consciousness. Consciousness, yeah. where he uh, solves the problem and of I, consciousness. I describe everyone else's solution to the problem. Yeah, good. Yeah. Well, and he's also a higher. You know, he does a lot of higher order thought, right? That's theory. right. That's yeah. right. Me and one other guy. Yeah. yeah this is so cool. Right. Well, cool. great to be here. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. The great impasse has spoken. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Who are you? Who are you? A very bad man. I'm a very good man. Good man. They think he's lost, and with no more brains than you have. Just a very bad wizard.